Why do Jewish traditional women wear a wig? You may have noticed that women, after they get married, they cover their hair, some with a very pretty wig, some with a kerchief, some with a hat. But the moment they get married, the hair gets covered. Why is that? So I want to share with you the insight and the appreciation of why that tradition has become so prominent that it's so noticeably by when you walk through Jewish neighborhoods, densely traditional Jewish neighborhoods, you would see married women having their hair covered. The answer is in one word. It's called modesty. Modesty is a nature that has been part of the Jewish religion from the onset. The Jewish religion was founded and based on intimacy between husband and wife. The commitment, the respect, the love, the bond that happens between man and wife, beginning with Adam and Eve, all the way down to Abraham, who married his wife Sarah, the first Jewish patriarch and matriarch. They have set the pace. They have taught us how Jewish men and Jewish women are to conduct themselves between themselves and for the rest of the world. There is a code of conduct how a man is to conduct themselves after the moment of this ceremony where the wedding is sanctified, is consecrated, when the man commits himself to his wife and his wife to him. That bond is a bond of not just two physical human beings becoming one, it is their souls become united as soulmates. Before this couple met in this world, they were actually united in heaven. They were one soul in heaven. At time of birth, that soul was cut into two, two halves. One went to the husband, one went to the wife. And the journey begins for both souls to find each other. And that's what happens in marriage. When the husband and wife have found each other, it's basically two halves becoming whole again. So the wedding is not just a union of two people, it's a reunion. Because you were together already in heaven. Now you are getting reconnected. Now that bond, that connection, is the strongest bond of life. That bond that is a knot that is tied at the night of the wedding ceremony is tight, so tied that it should never been, be undone. And the journey of life is to keep the knot tight as ever. Part of that 
is to remember that now that you married your wife, your wife is now married to you. As King Solomon writes in the words, I am to my beloved, my beloved is to me. And it is exclusively, yes, from that moment of marriage, you are exclusive to each other and to no one else. And therefore, the beauty of your wife is, belongs only to you. And there comes the rules of modesty. The concept of being modest, of living a modest life, conducting yourself in a modest way, so that once you are married, you know that you are consecrated to your husband only and your husband is to you. Your full beauty belongs only to your husband, only belongs in your home and in your bedroom and to nowhere else. The hair of a woman pronounces her amazing beauty. Therefore, that beautiful, amazing beauty that gets pronounced through her natural hair is reserved only for her husband from the night of marriage. And this is why whenever a woman goes in public, she covers her natural hair as respect to her husband as a respect to the intimacy that belongs only for the two of them. The concept of modesty is a fiber that kept marriages together for 3,300 years throughout the Jewish history. The concept of modesty, of dressing in a modest way, by keeping the clothes that you wear to conceal your body that belongs only to your husband and to no one else to see. It's something which, if you just look at the movies from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, you saw how almost every American dressed modest. Long dresses, long sleeves. Every gentleman wore a suit and a hat or a top hat. There was a level of modesty that prevailed in society forever. That law of modesty is an actual law of Judaism that is required to be observed, specifically once you are married. It really is the walls of your home, the walls of your marriage belongs to each other only and not to anyone else or in the outside world. I want to personify this through a very interesting law that could really help us understand it. See, during the high holidays, there is the Rosh Hashanah, the New Year's, there's the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and then there's seven days of celebration of the holiday of the Tabernacles. During those seven days, it's called the times of joy. The times of joy references a tremendous amount of joy permeated Jerusalem, where everyone made pilgrimage, 
came to the Mount Jerusalem for the high holidays. But during these seven days of joy, our sages teach us in the Talmud, describes what kind of joy there was, to such a level that it says, whoever hasn't seen joy during these days have never seen joy, don't know what joy is all about. Also talks about people didn't taste sleep during those days, during those seven days. People would dance all night long. During these ceremonies, they weren't just ceremonies that were celebrated by the lay people, but rather the greatest of priests, the greatest of scholars came out from the study halls and came to the streets of Jerusalem. And whoever had talents, they would juggle fireballs and they would do acrobatics. It was truly the most festive feeling during these seven days in Jerusalem. Matter of fact, they would do a march down to a well, the Shiloh well, and they would draw water and bring it back up to the Holy Temple and do a libation of water, which signifies a tremendous amount of celebration. And that, that was what it was known as the seven days of drawing water uh, during these seven days. But one interesting part was that in the center of Jerusalem, they built a huge tower going up about 150 feet. Next to this tower, there would be a ladder. In this ladder, the Kohanim, the priest, the priesthood, the young ones who are able, would carry vats of fire with wicks inside. They would climb up this ladder to 150 feet and light the torches that were on top of this tower. The tower was so so powerful, the light that emanated from this tower was so bright that even in the mid, in the darkness of the night, that women at home preparing their food can separate the grain to the light that emanated from this. But the point was about these young priests who would carry these vats of, of kerosene with big wicks and climb up the 150-foot the tower to bring light to the whole Jerusalem. And goes on to specify where did these wicks come from, very interestingly. These wicks came from the pants and the belts of the priesthood that were worn out. So when the pants and the belt of the priesthood got worn out, that is what they used for the wicks. Interestingly. So as the Talmud records this, the sages are asking the question, why were those wicks made only out of the pants and the belt? What about the shirts? What about the hats? Aren't they also considered holy garments? Why weren't they used for the wicks? Why were the wicks only made out of the belt and the pants of the priesthood? It was very interesting. My Rebbe, Rabbi Schneerson, gave a beautiful commentary to explain that. And he shared with us the commentary that when we dress ourselves, 
there are two parts to our body. There is the upper body, our hat, our shirt, our jacket, which protects our vital organs, which is our mind. The, the hat protects our mind and the jacket and the shirt protects our heart. Without either of them, we can function. And then yet there is the belt. What does the belt do? The belt separates your upper part of your body with your lower part of the body. What does the pants do? The pants covers up your lower part of your body. What is the difference between your upper part of your body and your lower part of the body? The upper part of your body is where your very refined functions of your heart, the beats of your heart and the thoughts of your mind. But the lower part of your body is where intimacy is expressed. The lower part of our body is where life gets reproduced from. The lower part of the body is what in essence leads us and directs us to temptation. That leads us and directs us to thoughts that may be foreign thoughts. It is that part of the body that is the most important part to remind us of what the heart and mind is all about. The concept of learning that intimacy, that marriage, that comes, that belongs only between husband and wife. The way a man talks to another woman needs to be with respect, needs to be with a clear mind, not to betray the marriage or the intimacy they have with the wife. The same thing with a woman, that the way a woman looks at another man needs to be able to remember the laws of modesty, that now that you are married, your sensitivity, your love, your passion belongs only in one place, and that is with your husband. And this is why during the high holidays, it is the pants and the belt that defines what's going to bring light in Jerusalem. It is the restraint, the abstinence, the control, the challenge that we are challenged with what goes on below the belt, as they say, how you are able to overcome that and realize that God has taught us modesty. God has taught us as important our heart and brain is, that's above the belt. We need to remember what's below the belt it needs to be in control and check as well. And that is why they used only the pants and the belt from the priesthood, because that's how they demonstrated the true discipline and the true modesty that's becoming unto the priesthood. From the 12 tribes, there's only one tribe that earned himself a title. A title that Moses didn't get, that Aaron didn't get, that no one in the Bible got this title. Only one, one tribe. Who was that? That was Joseph. He earned the title Joseph 
Hatzadik, the righteous. Why did he earn that title? Because Joseph, when he was a mere 17 years old, he went through a very difficult childhood. He was orphaned at a very young age. He was abandoned by his family. And then eventually he got seduced by the wife of Potiphar. And she tried every seduction possible in life to seduce Joseph, to succumb. But Joseph acted with tremendous restraint that when he was just about to buckle, he ran away. Thus, he got caught and he was sentenced to 12 years in a very bitter prison. And it was only after that that he rose to become the viceroy of Egypt and eventually be the host to reunite with his brothers and father and help the Jewish nation continue on. But why did he earn the title Hatzadik, the righteous one? It's because at the moment of seduction, at the moment when he was about to buckle, he showed the strength that he was able to abstain and act with modesty and not to succumb to the temptations from below the belt. As you know, in Jewish tradition, that a woman would not shake a hand with a non-relative man. It's against the law. So once a woman approached the world jury rabbi, apparently either she did it instinctively or she didn't um, know otherwise, and she stuck out a hand to shake Rabbi Schneerson's hand. And the Rebbe looked at her with a beautiful smile and said, My mother taught me at a very young age, do not touch something that's not yours. And that is so true, because once you are married, your wife is yours. No other woman can be yours. There was once a story of a 90-year-old saintly rabbi who was living alone at home after his wife has passed and the maid who would come clean the house would oftenly come. And he had a student that stayed with him, kept him company. One time as the maid was cleaning, the student shouted out to the rabbi, says, Rabbi, I'm going to run out to buy something. I'll be back in 20 minutes. It was a cold winter day. When he came back in 20 minutes, he saw the rabbi shivering outside the door. This poor 90-year-old man is shivering outside the door. And the student says, Rabbi, why are you outside? Why aren't you inside? He says, well, you left me alone with the old maid. And you know, according to laws of modesty, I'm not allowed to be alone with another woman who's not my wife. So the student says, Rabbi, come inside. And went inside. And the young student looks up to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, come on. You're 90 years old. And she's not a very attractive old maid. What are you worried about? And the rabbi responded to him. And he never forgot this line. He says, in five minutes, I could become from 90 years old 
a very young man with my evil inclination, and she could become a very pretty woman. <laughs> and this taught him a lesson, the lesson of modesty at all costs, the respect of being modest and following the ways of the Torah. And this is why we need to work on our marriage, on the intimacy, to understand and to appreciate the commitment that we have to each other is based on 3,300 years of history. And this is why the Torah has taught us rules of modesty. And this is why traditional Jewish women, when they get married, wear a wig. Because it's a demonstration of true modesty. And it is for each of us, next time we find ourselves in a vulnerable opportunity, to think of the words that we say, are they within the rules of modesty? To think about the thoughts that's going through our mind that may be inspired from below the belt. Is that appropriate? Do I act like Joseph and not succumb, but act with great strength and restraint? May God bless us all that we should find our soulmate. May God bless us all that we can be committed to our soulmate and to none other, just like Abraham and Sarah showed us the way. God bless you. God loves you.